Fisher in the Alamac Manta just cannot shake off his great rival and his lead could evaporate with a simple puncture. really trying. The Sydney Meek prepared car has run faultlessly and with Fisher's bogey stage Fanet now finally behind him, his first stunning all victory is looking more possible by the mile. Welcome along to Crunching Gears, Season 2, Episode 1, Part 2. This is the second part of our tribute to Bertie Fisher. We have many more exciting guests to speak to along the way. In this episode, we'll speak to four. And we're going to start off with Nigel Fraser. Nigel is the son of Austin Fraser, who co-drove for Bertie from the mid-70s right up through to the late 80s. It's a fascinating story. I started off both asked Nigel about his, his dad's career previous to setting his birthday. They sat with the one only Cathal Curley. Yeah, he had a, he had a very successful partnership with Cathal, um, particularly sort of early early to the mid-70s. Um, mm -hmm. Cathal won Donegal three times in a row, obviously, with my father not alongside him because yes. he had organising duties uh, uh -huh. with Donegal in those days. But aside from that, obviously, they won the the Circuit of Ireland in 74, mm -hmm. um, they won the Ulster, they won the Manx in there. So, yeah, they were, it was a hugely successful partnership. Yeah. And, the, you know, you just alluded there to your dad organising Donegal. Like, one of the, the founding fathers, I suppose, of the Donegal International Rally, too, your father, wasn't he? So. Yeah, even though he was from Enniskillen, I think um, Donegal contacted him whenever they had aspirations to uh, make the rally international and see if they could gain something from his experience. So he went up there and the they put together a really good team. I think it was they had a real good bond. I mean, that was our very early 70s. And even to this day, the people that he worked with to put that rally on are still family friends and still yes. in, in close contact. Mm -hmm. So it seemed to be a very successful team. And, and I think they all put an awful lot of effort into to getting Donegal on the map in terms of, of international rally and it's gone mm -hmm. from, from strength to strength since. Yeah. And um, like, you know, and when you consider like the 74, uh, uh, they become like, wasn't it the Ford Sportsman of the Month award, like it had never been achieved before by an organiser of a rally ever before at that stage. No, no. Yeah, um, funny, I can, I can remember he actually, he got awarded like a, a marble cigarette box <laughs> and my father never touched a cigarette in his life. But this uh, ornate cigarette box sat in our living room for, for many a year after that. But yeah, that, he was the first organiser to be awarded that, um, which was obviously a, a big honour for him and for the, the whole team that, that put that together. I mean, So Kathleen uh, retired late 76. 
And then your your dad went on to one Donegal actually in '77. Was you know another legend of the sport, Billy Coleman. Yeah, I think I think my father always had a desire to do a rally with Billy. I think that was mm-hmm. always something that um, at that time that that he was looking to do. Um, and obviously, uh, the opportunity came along, um, and it was his first year. He had been clerk of the course the previous year, so it was the first year really he'd competed on Donegal as an international. Mm-hmm. And however that came about, he got the opportunity to, to sit in with Billy in the Stratus. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he went straight from, from organizer to winner. So it was a smooth, seamless transition. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kevin, it would be great if, if my father was able to come on here and tell these stories himself. Unfortunately, his health isn't good and hasn't been good now for a while. He's not really in a position to, to come on and, and recall all the, the stories and the the tales he has to tell with so look i'll i'll come on and i'll do my best to, to try and fill in the gaps and remember what i can from those days okay nigel um pass on our kind regards to him so can you tell us how the combination of your dad and bertie materialized yeah uh, obviously cattle retired in in 76 and my father i suppose he's drifted about between drivers for a bit. I know he navigated with Roy Cathcart for an event or two and um, obviously with um, did that event with Billy as well in 77. And then um, I think him and Bertie were, were at an event somewhere and after the event was over, they just got chatting at the prize given and Bertie came up to him and he said to him, what about us two from Boys get together? Um, and obviously my father thought that wasn't a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And that, that was how it all started. And they went from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cork 20 was their, their first rally together. And they ended up second mm-hmm. overall. And then they went to the, the national rally in Donegal at the tail end of that year and they won it. So okay. it, was a, it was a successful start. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was a good, a good a start as you would get, isn't it? Then? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, we'll bounce forward in a few years. The, the 82 Ulster, I think, was the big breakthrough for Bertie, I suppose. Like won his first Tarmac Championship round. It was also like you know, the British cruise was over that year too. Yeah, it was. Um, I think that there was a lot of talk around that time about pace notes, um, mm-hmm. and pace notes generally weren't commonplace in Irish rallying at all. And it was something that I know Bertie and my father were very keen to get introduced. Um, and I don't know if Bertie maybe even had had thoughts of it's not worth the effort anymore because he felt like he was um putting in the effort and there were people people beating him on the stages that maybe had been out and had been yeah. doing some wrecking um so the ulster that year that was the first time they had introduced pace notes um okay. and it was i think one of the main reasons that that they were really keen to do well mm-hmm. um yeah i think uh, per eckland was would have been birdie's main challenger mm-hmm. uh, in 82 but he had a pretty commanding performance, I think, on that event. He, he led more or less from, from start to finish. Yeah. Um, I, I know, listening or watched the, the coverage recently, like Bertie made a big thing of was they put a lot of effort into the night stages on the recce. And yeah. you know, they put down a lot of their one down to that, that they, they were more confident at night because they had good yeah. notes. Yeah, I think they had actually, he had attributed his notes partly couple of years previously, um, him and my father had gone to Belgium and they did the Haspengau rally out yes. in Belgium and it was Pace Notes. And they 
they really got on the pace notes then, but they found when they did the recce, they made their notes. And then when they went back to check them, they thought these notes are far too fast and they slowed them down. And then when they actually got onto the event, they were right the first time. They should have left them as they were <laughs> and they'd slowed the notes too far. And I think that was a real good lesson for them when it came to the Ulster, because the Ulster, even though it was a couple of years later, that mm-hmm. was the next event, pace note event that they did. Yes. Um, and they had that, that knowledge and that background, which maybe gave them an edge over mm-hmm. the guys that were competing against that hadn't used pace notes at all. Yes. Um, and then, but yeah, they did, they focused on the night stages to the, to the extent that they didn't even finish the recce. They okay. got to the last, they got to the last few stages of the rally and they had no notes, <laughs> <laughs> which seems absolutely insane in today's world that yeah. somebody who was leading an international rally wouldn't have found the time to mm-hmm. go over the last few stages. Uh-huh. But I don't know what the reason was, whether there was, uh, they just ran out of time or, uh-huh. or no, no one birdie, maybe there was some big business deal that needed to be, <laughs> else had to be done. Yeah. Yeah, he, had to, he had to head off and, and sort out something else. But yeah, <laughs> but thankfully they had enough of a lead at that stage that they were able to coast through without, yeah. without too much problem. <laughs> and like those early years, you know, you think like the, the fantastic cars, like, the, you know, the BDA escorts, the Skona, the Manta, you know, like, is there any special memories that stand out for you in those early years? I have a vague recollection of the, the Ulster and the the Red Escort in 82. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have been eight, nine. Um, but I suppose my main memories would have been the early days of the Mantas, um, 84 especially. Um, they had the, the gold card, shell gold card Manta, um, which probably to this day is probably my favorite uh, car of all the, the Mantas that Bertie would have had. Yes. Um, I do remember in 84, it was the first year that the Circuit of Ireland had gone to, um, it was always in Killarney and this time it was Waterford, they had switched to Waterford and I had never been allowed to go round, follow the rally around mm-hmm. um, as a young kid. And this was the first year, finally, permission <laughs> was was given and, and we all decided we would go as a family. Um, and it couldn't have gone better that day. Um, they were They were leading the event. Um, okay. I think that was the year Henry Teuvenen had was in the Porsche. Oh yes, uh-huh. um, and he had he had had problems, and mm-hmm. he was surging back through the field at the time. But Bertie mm-hmm. was leading, and it in those days, obviously having a a Northern Ireland driver win the circuit was yeah. it was a long time. In fact, the last time it happened was seventy four with Cahill and my father. Uh-huh. So it was ten years later, and I was eighty four, and yes. no, no Northern Ireland driver had ever won it since. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were leading, coming down into Waterford, and I recall being in the car and Gladys Fisher and my mother, and Mark Fisher and myself in the back seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we were coming into Waterford, it was the last stage before the the overnight halt in Waterford. And as we drove into Waterford, we met we met Bertie's chase car coming out the road okay. as if they were heading back to the last stage uh-huh. and we waved at them and they gave us a thumbs down mm-hmm. as they went past in the car yes. um, in days of no social media or mobile phones, phones yeah. uh-huh. as good as the communication got which <laughs> obviously wasn't a good sign no. um, and it turned out yeah, that it retired then on the last oh. the last stage of that day mm-hmm. um, but I think it was sort of a glimpse of what was to come in the month of years mm-hmm. that he was able to to take that lead and, and they, 
you know, he built on that as the years went on. Yeah, I think, you know, I think whatever, you know, Bertie always bounced back, didn't they? Like, you know, if he had a bad result the next event, he came back and was probably come back stronger every time. It seemed to be part of his build-up too, wasn't it? You know? Yeah, just, I think that was part of his character. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it made him more determined. Um, mm-hmm. He was very uh, determined that he was going to achieve what he wanted to achieve, not just in rallying, but, um, you know, in life and in business and everything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. I know, Obviously, business was a, a big thing. Recce's always used to be disrupted, apparently, with um, if there was a business deal to be done or somebody had to be seen, they might go and recce a couple of stages. And then Bertie would say to my father, right, we're just going to take a wee break here for an hour enough to go and see so-and-so. <laughs> yes. And then head off and Bertie do a bit of business. And then he'd come back and finish off another couple of stages. Um, so, yeah, it was always a, it was a juggling match, trying yes. to balance um, everything that was going on. Busy man. Uh-huh. And like you're just alluded to there, like Mark Fisher too. Like he would have been a part of your childhood as well, growing up. And uh, like I'm sure there was many an event yourself and Mark and was palling about there too. Yeah, um, very much so. We would obviously, with the two families being so closely linked, we would have spectated together at a lot of a lot of rallies. And obviously with Sydney running the car, um, mm-hmm. Chris and Barry Meek would have been knocking around as well at times. Um, mm-hmm. I remember. One year, Donegal, one year, I'm not sure, maybe 84, 85, something like that. Just Donegal and, and um, Bertie would always have stayed in Jackson's Hotel, in Bally mm-hmm. Buffet. And we were there, myself and Mark and Barry and Chris. And for some reason, um, Dave Richards from Pro Drive was over that year. And he okay. was staying in the hotel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a service area up by Downings, um, just at the, the foot of Atlantic Drive, I think, from them. And we got word, oh, Dave Richards is going to take you up to service this morning. You, you go up with Dave. Mm-hmm. So the four lads, we would have been 10, 12, something like that. And Barry mm-hmm. and Chris probably a wee bit younger, maybe. Um, but what we hadn't banked on, that Dave Richards wasn't driving to Rossapena. He was taking the helicopter. Okay. So um, we all piled into the car and into the helicopter and... and Mm-hmm. flew up to uh, Downings and landed in the service area. Um, and I can remember somebody telling me then they saw this helicopter land and it was in the days when uh, there wasn't that too many around and the importance arriving here. I'm yes. like, well, who's going to get out of this? And the door <laughs> opened and these, these four kids just jumped out, started fighting on the grass. <laughs> underneath the helicopter yeah they thought it was some kind of pop star or something was landing yeah yeah they, they were <laughs> sa- sadly disappointed <laughs> and, like, another very important part of that relationship too was like the gm dealer team along with russell brooks and jimmy mccray too like bertie Dawson was a, a big part of that as well weren't they yeah um i suppose 84 really was when that that took off um in the gold card car um they were involved then in the British Championship as well as a lot of the, the Irish tarmac events. Mm-hmm. Um, Birdie's obviously, Birdie's speciality would have been tarmac. Um, but there was the likes of the, the Welsh and the, the Scottish rally um, that year. So um, it was, I suppose, it largely a new experience. But, I mean, he, he acquitted himself very well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was right, as I say, he was leading the, the circuit at the time. And I think he finished maybe fourth in the Ulster that year. And, um, my very good run on the Manx. I think it was second in the Manx that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Manx was always a favourite, a favourite yeah. spot of birdies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
right throughout his career. But then they went on, obviously, to the uh, RAC that year. That's right, yeah. Um, and they had a great run in the RAC. Mm-hmm. Um, ninth, I think. Ninth, I think, yeah. Up. Just about to say ninth, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, yeah. Um, definitely, yeah. And, and when you read the... The names that were that were in front of them, mm-hmm. um, there was you know the likes of I think Ari Vatman won it that year, and Hanny Mickela and Michelle Mouton and Brooks and McRae, and yeah. it was a it was a star-studded field in front of them. Yes, um, mm-hmm. and some but, strong names behind them, so like you know they were there in merit as well as everything yeah, else too. You know? Absolutely, and I, I can remember obviously Birdie didn't have massive experience on the loose um, mm-hmm. in comparison to what he had on tar, but I do remember my father saying at the time. As that event went on, he really got to grips with rallying on the loose. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would have said from the first stage to the last stage, there was a massive difference in, in how Bertie was able to deal with the conditions. Yes. Um, and that was something that he took into the following season, I think. Mm-hmm. He continued that um, the British Championship then the year after. Mm-hmm. And he had some great results. I think the, the Scottish in 85, they ended up fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a real good, and I think the Welsh as well that year. I think they were actually very, well, say, fortunate. They had a big accident in the Welsh that year, but they were. I think they had beaten McRae on one or two stages. Right. They had a few problems as well. Yes. They dropped mechanical time, mm-hmm. um, and then they. I think they went off down a bank, and they they came to rest against the tree stump. And if the tree stump hadn't stopped them. It was a long way down. Oh. <laughs> um, well, those Welsh stallies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it showed his, showed his speed and showed him what he'd learned, really, at mm-hmm. the RAC the year before. Yeah, and the five days in the car had obviously paid dividends and getting the, the seat time was always about, isn't it? So. Yeah, it is. My father always attributed that, that mm-hmm. RAC, the British yeah. development on the on the loose surface. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, 85, the Manx, like, that's... Uh, one of those events that always stands out in the memories, isn't it, too? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, the, as I say, the Manx was always a, a massive... Uh, Birdie was always a, a massive favourite uh, over mm-hmm. in the Eleman uh, among the spectators and seemed to be hugely popular. He had a great run in 1982 um, after he won That's the right, Ulster yes. that year. Uh-huh. That's right. um, I think he was second that year as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of started his, his love affair with... With the Manx, mm-hmm. um, funny. I was looking through um, some bulletins from the Manx. There's, oh, yeah. there's a few scrapbooks knocking mm-hmm. around, <laughs> um, and even on the '83 event, then um, Bertie was lying third um, mm-hmm. after twenty or thirty stages. But he would, first was Henry Toyvan, and second was Ari Vattenen. Third was Bertie Fisher, and fourth was Stig Blomquist. Oh, well. <laughs> um, and then, and fifth was Russell Brooks. Yes. Um, so, you know, it was a place that he, he did, he excelled in yes. um, a lot. But just, I just happened to come across one of the quotes. It was one of um, Patterson's news bulletins. Mm-hmm. But it, the, the crashed out um, on stage 35. Right. A crazy amount of stages. Yes. Uh-huh. Nowadays. Um, but there was a quote in one of the bulletins, and it was uh, from an English enthusiast, so not a not a local. He said, "Well, when I heard the news that Fisher was out, I cried. It sounds a bit soft, but I don't mind if you print it. That's how we all feel." Oh. <laughs> I thought, yeah. um, so it just shows you how how popular he was. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, eighty five. Then um, there was 
there was a lot of rivalry 85 because the quattros were starting to establish themselves mm-hmm. as the car to have um and the mantas were probably nearing their nearing their end um mm-hmm. or were, um and brooks and mccray and, and birdie obviously and in, in that one team but i in the manx that year the Audis, um like malcolm wilson michelle mouton um someone else Blomquist, I think maybe. Oh, they said um, were a big team anyway, didn't they? Yeah, that year. yeah, yeah. There was, and there was a definitely a lot of rivalry, and the Audis all disappeared, um, whether it was mechanical or accidents, and mm-hmm. the Mantas came through, and Birdie finished up third, the one, two, three with the Mantas, which was massive for for GM Dealersport at the time, mm-hmm. um, and just before the the prize giving. My father and Bertie were in the room. They must have been sharing a room and Bertie went for a shower before the prize given. And my father could hear Bertie singing in the shower. <laughs> What's going on there? So Bertie comes out and he says, I've put together a song. I'm going to perform at the prize given. <laughs> and my father says, what? <laughs> You're going to do what? <laughs> and uh, yeah, he says, I've got this, uh, I've got this song and it went something along the lines of, um, I'm not going to sing because I can't sing. <laughs> but the, the lyrics were something along the lines of, um, where have all the Audis gone? Christ, Christ and broken all but one. When will they ever learn? Something along those lines. And my father says, you can't sing that at the prize given. <laughs> what are Audi going to think? Um, what if what if Audi want to approach you about a, a seat for some stage in the future? They're never going to speak to you again. <laughs> you could be this could spell the end <laughs> of any deals that you'll get done in the future. Um, Bertie says, "No, I think it's good. You know, I think I might do it." <laughs> so, so Bertie got up on the stage, and I think at that point, my father still wasn't sure was he actually going to go through with this crazy idea. But he did, he got up on the stage and he took the mic and uh, sung the song and it went down, well, it went down great among the crowd. I think he got a I'm not sure how it went down without him. And he never did get an offer to drive for them. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe there was like red light through across his name then. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But I think everybody outside the ID camp thought it was hilarious. Yes. Great entertainment. <laughs> Um, going forward in, into 86, things sort of took a bit of a dramatic turn. A go in 86 at the Brakesfield. Like, did your dad ever mention that? Yeah, that was, I recall that being a big thing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I think it probably affected Bertie more than it affected my father at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly they were very lucky, you know, they came down a very fast straight, I'm sure. Most people have seen it on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. It's got so many views. But yeah, they came down a very fast straight. And when he stood on the brakes, the brakes failed. Um, and they went straight on. Um, and there was a, a lady with two children standing hand in hand with two young children in the in the middle of the escape road. And Bertie managed to find, thankfully they froze, didn't move. And Bertie find, managed to find a gap down the side and, mm-hmm. um, and also down the side of the marshal's car. Yeah. It's remarkable that there was absolutely no contact with anything. When you think of a like a marshal's car blocking off an escape road, it's not too often there's room. I need to get past it. Get mm-hmm. past it. So it was incredibly lucky where that did happen. But mm-hmm. um, certainly, 
um, Bertie had um, experiences previously. He had been involved in a, in a fatal accident. Bushwhacker, I think it was, a spectator. Um, and it was something I think that had always been in his mind, okay. and the safety aspect. And I think this, whenever this happened, um, mm -hmm. it really, I think it made, it made things, it made it difficult for Bertie to commit 100% um, right. when, he was, when he was driving, or he felt mm -hmm. that it would. Um, and when you're at that level, if you're backing off for corners because there's a crowd in the escape road, you're yes. not going to be competitive. No. Um, mm -hmm. And Bertie would never have done things by half. No. Mm -hmm. um, if he wasn't going to be in it at 100%, he wasn't mm -hmm. going to be in it at all, I think. Sure. Um, but they had, interesting, they had the RPM, had the in-car camera um, in the car for that event, obviously. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And after it had happened, Bertie and my father had a long discussion about whether they would actually release the video and give it back to Plum. So they took the video out of the camera right. um, and didn't initially give it to RPM. Um, mm -hmm. I think they were they didn't want to sensationalize anything. Um, and they were they were in two minds as to whether it would be beneficial to have it go out on TV. But I think after they discussed it, then they decided you know it would serve as a as a lesson yes. to people that are watching and and. It very much did so, I think. I think um, so, yeah. History mm -hmm. will tell. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they did, they gave it to Plum and gave their okay then to use the use the footage. And mm -hmm. it really did. Because when you look at rallying in those days, even in the in the World Championship, you see, you can picture those, the images of Portugal or somewhere like that, where you're uh -huh. driving down walls of people on either side. How uh, they drive. Touching the cars, the cars were going past um, kind of thing. They're all, yeah, so. How there wasn't more... Uh, yeah. serious accidents even mm -hmm. outside of Ireland the world over it, it was sure. incredible so sure. yeah so you know, um, Bertie decided obviously then that, that he couldn't commit to it but mm -hmm. I think the bug obviously doesn't go away as, no. as, as rally men know the bug yeah. doesn't go away so mm -hmm. um, I think he decided himself that if they could sort out the safety side of it Mm -hmm. That would be his reason to get back in. So then they went in, they did safety officer on Donegal rally and they ran, the two of them ran as mm -hmm. course car um, through the stages before the events and, and mm -hmm. took sort of a very high profile role, I suppose. Yes. In in promoting safety. and yeah, That was the year, was the insurance note too, like it was Matt Doherty took the ball by the horns and like your dad and Bertie was kind of forefront in that campaign, weren't they? That and see if it yeah. to the stages and all this yeah. kind of thing. I mean, it was a massive issue at the time, you know, the, the future of rallying yeah. in Ireland That's was at sure. stake. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it did need somebody or something to sort it out. Uh, took strong leadership, but, didn't it? You know, yeah, so. it did. And I think Bertie took that, that leading role mm -hmm. in that and, and delivered delivered changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, so then, as you say, the, the bug then doesn't leave. So by mid-87, the bug was back with a vengeance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it came back, it came back to the Manx National. Funny, mm -hmm. I remember um, I was always so into spectating and, and was desperate for them to get back uh -huh. into action again. Um, and a few days before the Manx National then, I got up for school as normal one day and my father says, oh, you're not going to school today. And I said, what? <laughs> I I was never allowed a day off school. That did not happen. <laughs> and I said, why not? He says, Oh, you're you're coming you're coming with us to the Isle of Man. We're going over to watch the Manx National. So 
the next thing I know, we're in the car heading into St. Angelo Airport in Enniskillen mm-hmm. and Mark Fisher and I in this little six-seater plane, Bertie and my father and a pilot to take us to the Isle of Man and we all flew over mm-hmm. and watched the event um, in the Isle of Man, 87, and obviously they, they won that. Mm-hmm. And then came back to Donegal and won Donegal. So he, he mm-hmm. really came back with a with a bang. Yeah. Um, and the Ulster then was the next event up and they were right in contention right oh, until yeah. the end there. Um, mm-hmm. Mark Lovell in the Sierra was battling with them and the two of them were ahead of Russell Brooks. And yeah, I can well remember yeah, I can remember my father saying at the time, Russell's surprised that we we're beating him. <laughs> I remember him <laughs> saying to Bertie. Yes. Um, I think it definitely took took Brooks by surprise because he mm-hmm. always would have had the edge yes. you know, in, in a lot of their previous meetings mm-hmm. earlier in the 80s. So I think that was probably, in terms of the month of days, as well as maybe as Bertie has ever driven that, yeah. that little spell. Mm-hmm. Our, um, there was a I remember a service area in Fisher Engineering in Balna Mallard. Mm-hmm. And it was just before the last loop of stages, I think, or a couple of loops to go, maybe, before they got back to Belfast. And there was only seconds between it, between the two at the, mm-hmm. the front of the field. But I think Bertie knew the game was up because those stages were particularly fast. Yes. Um, and I knew that from the recce, that it was going to suit the Cosworth more than the Manta. Uh-huh. Um, and I think they actually maybe even made the decision, you know, they weren't going to push, they weren't going to have a real charge, because if Lovell had a good clean run and kept his pace going, they, they weren't going to be able to match him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sort of settled for, for second at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was certainly one of, mm-hmm. uh, and my father would have put that down to one of Bertie's best performances. Yeah, I don't remember, was it Donegal or the Ulster? Probably Plum Tindall was interviewing Bertie at the end, and he says, you know, like this, you know, with your come back so much stronger or something and Bertie's saying I probably should retire more often or something you know so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he'd probably been stewing on it for all those yes. for all those months <laughs> getting himself psyched up and mm-hmm. yeah he came back with a bang for mm-hmm. sure that's for sure and like, so your dad then continued into the Sierra then and like your dad considered retiring then was it the end of 88 your dad considered retiring was it yeah um just with, I, don't know, I suppose he'd just been doing it so long. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the work and the effort and the, the time yeah. was uh, outweighing the enjoyment, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 88 particularly wasn't a good year. Um, Bertie switched to the, the Sierra yeah. and never really got on with the car. Mm-hmm. Um, had a lot of problems that year. Um, and there wasn't much cheer <laughs> about mm-hmm. at the end of that year. In fact, I think... Possibly Bertie's shortest rally ever came that year. They did Lurgan Park. They hired a 6R4, I think maybe from John Price. Price, Uh A yellow 6R4 in Lurgan Park. I didn't get around the first corner. (laughs) That's right. It started started in around the back of the service area, and it was like a long left-hander before you came out onto the tarmac to head up back towards the entrance to the park. Yes. And on that first long left-hander, whether it was a new car or whatever it was, they slid wide and hit a tree, and that oh. was rally over. We got about a hundred yards. Oh. <laughs> I think that summed up the '88 season for them. Um, but yeah, at the end of that year, then um, my father was considering packing it in. And as mm-hmm. I said, I I loved being around the rally scene, um, and I was pleading with him 
to keep going, give it another year. Um, so eventually, I remember coming down into the kitchen mm-hmm. one day and my father was getting measured up for a rally suit in the kitchen. <laughs> I thought, oh, he must, he must be going for another year. Not so bad. <laughs> yeah, I went back, went back for the one year in 89 mm-hmm. um, in the BM, um, yes. which was... I always loved that that BM was a spectacular car to car, watch. Yeah, the sound yeah. and the yeah, I've heard about that car. There was just something very special about it then, you know. Yeah, so. it was. <laughs> but yeah, but then they eventually packed the end of '89. Then was my father's last last mm-hmm. year. The yeah. Killarney Killarney that season mm-hmm. um, was his last event. Killarney actually was at that stage was the only international rally in the championship that my father had never won. Okay, so I think he was. Uh, he was hoping for a fairy tale ending. <laughs> he could win. He could win the, the one. The one the round got away as such. So. Yeah, yeah, but it didn't happen. I think there was there was some uh, a sensor, sort of a fifty p's worth of a sensor gave up at right. some point, and that and that was this uh-huh. the plug on it. So that was the end of their their partnership. I think yeah. he actually went back. He went back and did. I think it was was a Cavan or Cavan, yeah, the legacy or something. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Just I think Rory wasn't available or something and. Uh-huh. Father briefly came out and, and yeah. sat in the Subaru for a while, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so looking back then, you know, what like what's your personal memories of Bertie Fisher? I suppose like the rally driver and the man. He was always very welcoming, I suppose, and yes. um, friendly and accommodating, and um, I suppose. Um, he always had time for you. Okay. I even though I was so closely involved with with Bertie and with the, the whole scene, mm-hmm. I still really looked up to him as you know a bit of a superstar. Yeah. Um but that certainly was never the way he acted. Mm-hmm. He was always, you know, he'd always have a word for, for anybody. Um and just just a real nice guy. And in terms of his his Rally and ability he was was second to none. Yeah, you know he was he was right up there as with the best of the best. And, mm-hmm. You know it would have been interesting to see if he had you know made the leap outside of Ireland, outside of Britain, yeah. where that you know where that could have taken him. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just you know nobody seemed to have a bad word to say about him. No, absolutely. You know? That, that's just, you know the, the idea behind this podcast is like. Everybody that spoke previously about it, like had nothing only glowing things to say, you know, like you know, James Cullen, Bert giving them tires to compete against them, you know, uh, Vincent Bonner saying that they never he seen Vincent hit the car after he bought it off Bertie. They come and looked at the car and they say that it'd go hoppers and the fixing of the car, like the things that got there, you know, it's it's just the mark of a man that's you know at a different level, isn't it? You know, just such a, yeah. a genuinely good guy. It is because you wouldn't be surprised that there would be a bit of tension or friction. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're competing high pressure environment, mm-hmm. swapping seconds, yeah. and not everybody always gets on. But mm-hmm. that didn't seem to be ever be the case case yeah. with Bertie. Yeah. Um, it was always and and very fair and very sporting. I, I yeah. mentioned touched on earlier about the the pace notes and like the concept of going and doing a recce when you weren't supposed to wouldn't even have entered his head no. mm-hmm. um you know he wanted to win obviously yeah but he wanted to win in the right way yeah do it fairly and, and, yeah there was no yeah. right, no, no ambiguity no because yeah. like even austin McHale spoke with him 
and he said like that's the one thing with Bertie like whenever the, the cloak was ticking every second counted but when it comes to the end you stepped out you shook hands and you know you want to have your paint or whatever you know and that, 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 you know there was no bad feeling or ill feeling left then because because you knew it was a fair fight you know so yeah absolutely no i think it was very important in in rallying and business and in life mm-hmm. every element for birdie that's the way it was um it was just a he was just a, a good guy to be around well nigel that's a, a nice point to finish up there isn't it so thank you for taking the time for joining us no problem at all it's a pleasure thank you Valley heads north for its final high-speed phase over the Antrim Plateau. Bertie Fisher, who ran out of practice time up here, is firmly in control. The Red Escort still immaculate. Ragland took 20 seconds of us on the last stage, which we thought was about right for driving it blind, you know. But we still have two minutes and five seconds lead, so, you know, we're still happy enough with seven miles, eight miles of stages to do. I think we can probably soldier through if we don't have any problems. For Bertie Fisher, who has long felt that Irish rallying needed legal pace notes to broaden its appeal and cut down local advantages, this is a fine reward for a perfect drive. And the Lord Mayor seems happy to share in its success. And by the time they arrive at the finish ramp, there's a huge crowd there to greet him. And every one of the fans appreciated another stunning performance from the man who retired from the sport last year. But this elusive first Donegal win was a long time coming. I've been coming here since I think about 72 or 73. And uh, I've probably had more accidents in Donegal than anyone else ever had either. But uh, no, it's, it's been a fantastic weekend. Uh, we've led the rally from the very first stage and uh, we've never lost the lead and we haven't had a problem with the car. You're starting to make a habit of this leading rally straight from the start. That's two outings, two wins. I mean, what's the secret of this new success? I don't know. I think I don't retire often enough, probably. <laughs> we now speak to Mr. Tough Mike himself, Kieran McAnall. I started off by asking Kieran about how he got to know Bertie. Well, I started rallying away back in uh, um, the late 70s and uh, I was doing a number of rallies during the Irish Tarmac Championship and various other events and I got to know Bertie through I meet them at various rallies. Okay, yes, right. Uh-huh. We were having a real good run uh, ourselves in the, the Tarmac Championship mm-hmm. and uh, we... Uh, well, I met with Bertie someplace, I don't know where it was anyway, and we were talking about rallying him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, you're doing Donegal, and he says, no, I'm not. He says, I can't put the budget together. Okay. And I talked to him for a while to find out how much more he needed, etc. And when he told me, he says, right, uh, count me in, I'll support you on that. Okay. And we ended up both cars going to do Donegal. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Unfortunately, Bertie went out with a uh, seized back axle on the second or third stage. Right, yes. Uh-huh. And uh, that's how we got to know, that's how I got to know Bertie and got involved with Bertie. Yeah, and like that, your, like your name and your company name continued on the, the cars right through then after that. Uh, yeah, we probably would be one of the, if not the longest 
was sponsored in Ireland mm-hmm. um, uh, with one driver. Mm-hmm. The only other one that I can recall was uh, Russell, the late Russell Brooks, uh, Andrew Steve Farrar. Yeah, that's right, no? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and like, did, did you find that having like Alumac and then becoming Tough Mac, did that help like, raise the profile of your business at that time as well? Absolutely. Uh, Bertie was in the steel business, structural steel business, and we were in the glass business. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Bertie often said, if the two things are put together right, they're two very strong substances. Yes. And him and I bonded unbelievably as regards business and uh, uh, sponsorship and on a personal uh, basis too. Mm-hmm. And we used to do comparisons of him and I of his business and my business because they were both similar sizes back in the early years but then he went on to go into a massive big operation mm-hmm. and um, it was a very interesting uh, friendship because uh, the two of us had a lot in common we both had sport and with business mm-hmm. in common yes and uh, we could do a lot of comparisons mm-hmm. and he would be in on jobs and be telling me about them and I'd find out who the architect or who the builder was or whatever. Yes. And then we would make contact with them and mm-hmm. see how we could get in on the job. And uh, so a lot of times Bertie introduced us to, to the various people. Oh, right, yes. So it was a, that was a one for your business then as well, obviously, too. So. Well, it was a win win all the uh-huh. time. And uh, as I say, we were working with someone who had a phenomenal reputation in the industry and mm-hmm. in sport. Yes. And uh, it was done um, everything totally above board and very professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, everybody I spoke to, that's the one thing they said about Bertie. Everything was done 100% and down the line and no messing about. And it was, everything no, was just never, so genuine. There never, mm-hmm. never was one thing or even a suggestion of one thing uh-huh. of things down the line. Yes. And Bertie always had a great say Whenever he went out of a rally, and we'd be having a wee bit of an inquest about it, and Bertie would say, hold on, boys. If we had all the money in China and 10 new cars, we can't win the championship or we can't win the rally. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have used that saying many, many times since mm-hmm. when we're sitting looking at something and trying to figure out how to roll uh-huh. forward or what yeah. went wrong. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, like the branding on the cars, like you know, we think of the the BMW, the Legacy, even you know, and through the Impreza's, and especially the, the silver Legacy or the silver Impreza, like yeah. th- those cars are still iconic to this day. Like, That's right. Like how you know, did, did was that like a team effort, them liveries, or how did they come about? Sometimes there was a discussion, but it was uh, more often or not, it was basically. Uh, the, the, as you know, the cars, most of the cars come from ProDrive. Okay, yes. And to be, to be honest with you, uh, ProDrive would have come up with the, with the ideas. Right. And they would have uh, faxed them across or whatever way the communication was back in those years uh-huh. uh, for us to have a look at. And yes. Maybe we'd run up a bit of twigging and more often than not, we just left them as they were. Mm-hmm. And isn't it amazing that, like, you know, they're still... Know to this day that you know they are still the cars that people think of as they think of that era, and they associate the name Tough Mike with Subaru with Bertie Fisher. You know, it's just amazing the way it all fell in together. Yeah, 
there all are icon cars from uh-huh. uh, back in that era, and they all are still in existence to this day, and uh, they all uh, are. Very, 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 very valuable to the people that own them. Yes. And uh, they're just impossible to 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 get a hand on them. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, as you say, like with Bertie, you know, you, you were his title sponsor, yes, but more than that, you were a good friend, and you you also became team manager. Like Bertie, done the even his rallying approach to rallying was different from everybody else. You know, he had a, a team around him that let him concentrate on the driving. All he had to do was jump in and drive. He knew that the service plan was looked after. He knew that everything else was running smoothly. Was not a very important part of of Bertie Fisher too. Well, that's that's true. He he uh, he. Um, when I started sponsoring him, uh, as I say, I was only in myself, and because I was building the business up on that, it was easier to give my attention to Bertie than it was to. Uh, organised and going to do events myself and that. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the start, we would run out and run his case notes for him, okay. or gravel notes for him, I should say. Uh-huh. And uh, then uh, as time went on, we got into more of the management side, and along with Sydney and that. And uh, we used to uh, uh, go on the chase cars and Whenever they were allowed back in that era, and be sitting at the end of every stage waiting on them, mm-hmm. and you were also sitting listening for the crackling on the radio in case it was in, in difficulty someplace or it went off or whatever. Okay, yes. Uh-huh. And uh, it was amazing the way that you you uh, fitted into the team type of thing and was given the responsibilities of making decisions. Mm-hmm. For him as you went along, you know. Yeah, I like I, you know, like even you know doing gravel crew and like the the call you would make on tires would be vital at times, wasn't it? You know, so. absolutely vital in time. And uh, the one story I can recall, uh, I don't know what year it was in Donegal, and uh, we had been out doing the weather and we're checking the the uh, Sydney night, and we had made uh, we had it till. Uh, as long as we possibly could, mm-hmm. and it was uh, the Nakala, uh, yes. And we were coming back down off Nakala to Kerry Keel, and when we went to Kerry Keel, uh, Sammy Hamill was standing uh, talking to Bertie, and Bertie says, "Well, have you made the decision?" And I said, "Six," mm-hmm. and it was raining, and Bertie says. Do you want a driver? <laughs> and I says, Bertie, there's no point in us going out to do a job unless you listen to what we tell you. Uh-huh. And uh, Sammy speaks up, he says, do I detect there's a conflict between management? Uh-huh. And I said, just wait and see, say nothing. And I ended up onto the stage and he uh, sat, it took 23 seconds or something enough for everybody else right. on the stage because the tire choice was right. He made the right call, yeah. <laughs> but it was just pure luck. <laughs> pure luck, you know. Uh, educated luck, maybe, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. I like that, was, that was one of the good moments. Uh-huh. I think he won the rally that year, and that was uh-huh. 
Exactly, exactly. And you know, there's a lot of disappointments too. Oh, of course, yeah, but sometimes the joy of rallying, you know. So, uh, you're also then like a big supporter. We have to remember Mark now at this time too. Like, uh, in the year 2000, Mark well, was Mark, using your group and Evo at that stage, wasn't he? It's like the Irish yeah, events. Mark, Mark, Mark was very stubborn in every way, uh -huh. even in the way he talked. Imagine then you'd be on the phone thinking you're talking to Bernie, <laughs> Mark you're talking to. Yes. And uh, Mark was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Mark, uh, I lent my car to Mark in the year 2000 to do the Tarmac Championship, which him and Gordon Ogle won. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the one of the great memories of that was overnight a man, and again Sammy Hamill, and uh, I think it was like Linford from Future Cars, Bertie and myself had flew out to one of the stages, mm -hmm. and we were sitting and watching, and uh, I think Mark was maybe running third or fourth in the road, Andrew Nestor was the top of him. Um, and Mark came down over this crossroads, he never lifted, he ne the rest of them all lifted, Mark never lifted. Right. And Bertie turns around and he says to me, he says, well, I have to chat to this boy, he says, I says, why? He says, uh, you'll be getting that chair back in a bundle of scrap. <laughs> I says, leave the land alone, you'll be all right. <laughs> and he went on to win, he was beating the WRC's hands down. Mm -hmm. uh, in Ella Man yes. and also at the Jim Killarney in the car. Mm -hmm. I like, he, he, he was uh, no exception. Mark was, mm -hmm. uh, there's no known where Mark would have been today as regards motorsport. Yes. Uh, had that tragedy never happened. Mm -hmm. I, he was destined for the top, wasn't he, really? You know, so. Absolutely. But the, the thing about Mark was, Mark was a very genuine lad in every way from the point of view that. He listened to what he was asked to do. Right. And he went out and he'd done it to the best of his ability. Mm. And if it didn't work, he'd come back and say that didn't work. What uh -huh. next will we try? Right. And he was always a trier. He was always a, a way ahead of everybody else uh -huh. in his thinking. Yes. Oh, well. And then, like, just as opposed to, like, to wrap up now, like, can you think back of Bertie Fisher? First of all, yes, the rally driver, but Bertie Fisher, the man. What's your abiding memories with Bertie? Well, um, as I said, Bertie and I have uh, done several comparisons down through the years on different things, and I looked at this and looked at that, and uh, Bertie was a good man for planning, planning the thing in great detail. And uh, it, proved, it proved dividends many times over in doing what he'd done, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I, the plan was the big thing. And if you want a Biden memory of him then, as the, as the rally man then as well? Uh, I have a one bit memory of him where we're over in uh, at the RSC rally. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the year that Mark was doing it, and Bertie was doing it, and Bertie was doing it in a full drive. Um, oh, the world car, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was more or less a prototype, and it was style and era. And another good friend of ours, I, um, 
Stephen Finley was doing it. Okay. And Stephen uh, beat Bernie. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bernie, after all his over, come to me in the service and he says, I need a bit of help here because I'm one of us. I'm going to be listening to a lot of slagging from Mr. Finley. <laughs> Yes. All of them at that time. But, you know, rallying was a great, a great sport and still is a great sport. Mm -hmm. It's just unfortunate that IE is not the same events that there was back in that, in that era. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think there was great camaraderie between the drivers, oh, wasn't there? The camaraderie between rallying and, uh -huh. and the winding up and the second up and the, mm -hmm. the, the looks of one another. Yes. Things, the things I'll never forget, you know. Mm -hmm. say, I know you've interviewed Vincent Bonner, and yeah. Vincent was one of them legends in every way. Yes. Um, uh, Os McHale, mm -hmm. absolutely gentleman. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, Kieran, I really like, appreciate you taking the time to join us, and thank you very much. Not a problem, Kevin. Good man. Okay. The band plays for Bertie Fisher and the local man, Rory Kennedy. It's all over for the shouting as Bertie and Rory get a tumultuous reception as the winners of the 21st Shell and Leonard Donegal International Rally. I've never really had proper competition with this car uh, since I've sort of got used to driving it because only having done six stages on the circuit, it didn't really give me the full feel for the car. So we really used Friday as a place. We didn't want to get too far behind Kenny, but once I got confidence with the car, then we really had an attack yesterday morning, and uh, say it has worked out very well. Rory, how was it from the co-driver's seat? Well, good weekend. Very good. First class, I must say, Guy. We, um, as Bernie explained there, we tried really hard on Saturday, and um, in particular to get through Fallon, it was a bit of a bogey area for us in the past, but um, this time we really showed our true form, you know, and I must say it took, took me all my life to read the notes as quickly as he was driving the car, so, you know, uh, all used to very like we did a first class job, and like we're more than late here at the moment. Next, I spoke to Aidan Fury. Aidan would be well known to many as he was a leading light in the Donegal Motor Club, and he's also written the fantastic book Donegal Experience. Aidan got to know Bertie in the mid 80s, and there's some fascinating tales. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, we started off by asking when he first got to know Bertie. Uh, I would say probably 1984, 85, probably 84 when uh, Jim Callaghan took over as clerk of the course and I was introduced to Austin and of course that came along with Bertie, mm -hmm. uh, both great gentlemen at the time. Yeah, and I would say those early years in Donegal, I would say there's a few stories. Uh, there, are, there are lots of stories, Kevin, some of them might not be fit for uh, public consumption, but... Uh, <laughs> One, one of the funny ones, I, I would think, um, Jim Callaghan was COC back in 84, 85, as I said. And one of the rules at the time was um, competitors traversing the stage in the opposite direction. So there was a one-way system going. Mm -hmm. And Jim decided he'd go out and take a run around and observe the stages. And we had just gone into Cairnhill, gone up around the first corner, and we saw a certain competitor bombing down the road, going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Jim threw the car across the road and blocked him and uh, got out to chastise the offender. Came back to the car fuming and what's wrong? Uh, he said, cheeky bugger and all that sort of stuff. And mm -hmm. I got out and I said, hold on a minute now. I got out and identified myself and uh, 
started to take down particulars. So the driver was getting angrier and angrier. And, mm-hmm. and Abigail was trying to calm him down. Will you shut up, he said. You know, he's a guard. But that, that didn't work either. <laughs> I made him turn the car and go the right way. And I got back in with Jim and we sat there for a while just to watch things. We, you know, a bit of giggling going on is, uh-huh. as Caliph would say, you know, that put manners on that fuck, you know. <laughs> and uh, later that evening, I met Bertie in the in the hotel and I'm probably having a bite or a drink or something. And he said, I heard you put manners on one of the lads out there. You're one tight kid. <laughs> and a big laugh. And, uh, you know, if you really want to get a speed gun. Um, I tried to get one from a colleague, but uh, it was no go. So, you know, believe it or not, Kevin, I made one up. <laughs> with a, a big black torch with a saucer on front and black tape. And uh, we used it a few times. Went out and Knock Alley was the biggest problem with it because of the speed of Knock Alley. Yes. And all the boys, you'd, you'd hold it out and you'd look down at it and you'd put it in the back seat of the car mm-hmm. and you'd wave them on or you'd stop them. But only one for it challenged me and uh, I demanded his road book and wrote the infringement in it and carry on now and that's enough if I catch you again you're out of the rally and that's the clerk of the course over there yes but of course Bertie again the word got out and, and he came up to me and he, he looked it in front of me straight and he, he said you put that thing on me there will be consequences and a big grin now whether he knew anything or not but uh, I would say at the time it probably had a good effect and uh, nearly everyone slowed down because of that yoke out there with the gun, you know. Yes. Uh-huh. But I've been called, I've been called worse things. Two years, I, I think Bertie found out through James Cullen or Rory or somebody. Uh-huh. And, uh, he, he discovered what it was all about and he said, you gave me great stick about it, you know. But there was nothing you could do. We had to do something. Yes. Uh-huh. I think it had a desired effect, Kevin, you know. So, like, we, we all know, like, Irish Rallying was in a very bad place in 86, and the Donegal Motor Club, you know, I suppose jumped in there and said they were going to organise and they were going to run the rally. Bertie and Austin took a, a very proactive role in that. Yeah, we, 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 as I say, you know, there was a lot going on at the time between speeding and pace notes and accidents. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'd say the people in Dawson Street were getting very concerned about it. Matt decided to take on the rally. He was elected clerk of the course. He took it on. And uh, one of the important things he did was he made contact with Bertie and Austin mm-hmm. and asked them would they take on the role of, uh, would they take on the role of safety officer? And of course, Bertie had already had a, a major uh, situation that developed in Galway when the brakes failed. And of course, Bertie had decided I'm going to take a back seat for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, Pace, pace notes were in, you see, but the crowd, the crowds and the speed was getting up and we had to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, where the, start, the crack started with Matt standing out in the middle of the road shouting a spectator, do you want a rally? And it became a sort of a catch, a catchphrase there for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, as only Matt could, you know. Mm-hmm. And like Bertie and Austin had the final word, like if they weren't happy with the stage, it didn't run. And if they were oh, happy, no, uh, well, I mean, the, the law was laid down and they were told if mm-hmm. Bertie decides to stop and sees the crowds are out of control or anything is not in right in the right mm-hmm. place, if he says stop, that's it, stop. Yeah. The rally stops. Mm-hmm. And the full authority of the clerk of the course at the time. Yeah. So then, like, obviously there was a, a, a strong friendship building there between Bertie, the club, and yourself. Uh, yes, well, I, I suppose a lot of it came through Austin because we were very friendly with Austin. Okay. 
And Austin would often always advise me, you know, ring me or ring Bertie or, you know, we'll have a chat about a problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, the good thing about it was, you know, uh, Bertie and Austin had more or less the same attitude as Jim Kennedy, God bless him. Uh, there are no problems, only solutions. And it became a bit of a, a mantra at the time. You went to Jim Kennedy or Bertie with a, a problem, you know, it was sorted there mm -hmm. and then, you know. Well, uh, the insurance crisis hit in... Uh, in the south and rallies were basically you know told that's it mm -hmm. and uh i was at a meeting and i came home from the meeting and i said you know this is doom and gloom what are we going to do and i rang i rang austin to talk to him first but i wasn't getting austin him working in the hospital at the time and then i got on to bertie and he suggested we convene a, a small meeting now billy campbell was the the tutor programmers man mm -hmm. and uh, he came down from belfast and we met in the hotel, I think Alan Verso came up from Cork. Um, Danny Caddy was there, myself, I think Matt came along later. And uh, see if there was anything we could do. And of yeah. course, Bertie came to the fore and said, look, if there's anything that can be done, don't hesitate me. I'm only a phone call away. Mm -hmm. And he advised, advised. And uh, out of that meeting or two after, uh, we had the Tarmac Rally Supporters Club. Mm -hmm. You see, Bertie had plenty of contacts and he used them well. Uh, there was a massive auction set up up the north someplace. I can't remember where now exactly, Kevin. Mm -hmm. And all the memorabilia uh, started coming in. Ari Vatten and stuff came in and various other competitors. Yeah. You name it, it was donated to the fund. Okay, yes. And before long, as it had, you know, the whole situation had taken legs and there was events being run all over the country. Mm -hmm. uh, if you rang Bertie and said, you know, there's something on in Navan or someplace down in Galway, he would head off and he would give it the support mm -hmm. and he would call in the likes of Mikhail and Billy and, you know, yes. people that would be the support. Mm -hmm. uh, wherever you wanted Bertie, he would turn up, fair play to him. Now, work committee, all right, you know. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, it, it ended up, I think, we ended up with that. We got buckets out of... Um, what was the sweet company there in time in town? Old oh, okay. uh -huh. Yeah, and, and they there was a guy there and we knew him and he was into rally and he got gave us a load of white buckets. And Billy Campbell did all the stickers and made up the boards. So like listening to that, like Bertie was becoming more than just you know your normal rally driver. He's becoming quite an ambassador for the sport as well, wasn't he? He was. He, he Bertie, Bertie was great. He was a great man, as I said already, a great man to go for go to for advice mm -hmm. and uh, I was COC in 1995 I think it was it was at a meeting in Dublin Troa meeting the tarmac organization and mm -hmm. the chairman position arose and uh, numerous names were put forward somebody from Galway put, put forward their name someone from Killarney put forward a name and if we're going around the table and we, we were getting nowhere and there was a comment I think myself mentioned we should get somebody without baggage, who doesn't have a club to fall back on or need to push. Right. And uh, I was asked the question, well, has asked, I, I proposed Austin Fraser and I was asked, did Austin say yes? And I, I had to answer it in the sort of situation. Well, he hasn't said no, <laughs> but um, it, it, it was one of those smart ones that came back to bite me. Mm -hmm. uh, the next day I rang Bertie from work and explained my problem and how I got my big feet in at this time. But he said, well, leave her with me, Fury, and uh, I'll talk to Austin. We'll take him out for lunch and see what happens. Uh, mm -hmm. Thankfully, he agreed. 
and thankfully Austin spent five very productive years in the role and brought in a lot of innovations and picked us up a lot, you know, shook us a little bit mm -hmm. and got things going the right way, you know. Yeah. So it, it, it was good in that sense, you know. Yeah. And um, we should pay tribute to Austin. Now, like, Austin Fraser, like, you know, what he'd done for Donegal Motor Club, what he'd done for the Tarvac, you know, association there, you just say, like, this man was setting standards. Oh, he was. I mean, well, I don't think, not being flippant about it, there mightn't have been a Donegal without Austin. Yeah. It took, took the reins and said, listen, yeah. listen, let's do something, you know. Yeah. And uh, fair play to him, you know. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, you were saying, Bertie always, everything they approached was very professional, wasn't it? Very, very, very professional uh, in everything he did. And he expected the same from organisers and, and people he worked with. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a one occasion, I think it was, he was competing in the mobile one care. Yeah. And at the prize given on the Sunday night, uh, when he was receiving his award, you know, say a few words, Charlie Collins would ask him to say a few words. Mm -hmm. He spoke highly of the value of sponsorship and he praised Shell for their involvement and their uh, support and backing for the club and I, it sort of went very well with a lot of people that he was looking upon this is this is my club and I need a bit of backing on it you know mm -hmm. yeah and you know, as you say he was sponsored by a, like a rival oil company but he, you know he still had the, the wherewithal to say that, you know this is good for the sport this is good for for us you know, I'll give these guys a praise, and it was a lovely thing to do, wasn't it? Yeah, and well, I, I would safely say it didn't do many harm where are concerned. I no, think, that, that's for sure. I think they're, they're rolled back in with him after that because, you know, they they considered it a very nice move and a very gentlemanly move, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, they, you know, a great motivator to get things done as well, wasn't it? Oh, yes, yes. The summit rally in the year 2000. Oh, yeah, that, that was, that was, uh, that was, uh, that was the, the peak for Bertie. I mean, things had fallen apart. A number of clubs had fallen out of the Tarmac Championship with there was nothing happening up the north. And uh, Bertie decided, you know, having talked to a few people in a skill and motor club and all there is, they decided to put this uh, event together. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was good. I, I was brought in at an early stage and he picked, picked a team and we got working on it. And uh, it turned out to be a massive event. Very enjoyable and very worthwhile. And it was a great thing that he would set his mind to something and nothing would hold him back. Yeah. Just to go out and get, get the quarry off Sean Quinn and do what he had to do was yeah. unbelievable, mm -hmm. you know. And a huge amount of money raised for charity that weekend as well, wasn't there too? So yes, yes, that's mm -hmm. right. Yeah, a big yeah. function in the, in the, what was it? Um, the Sleeve yeah. Russell, I think. The Sleeve Russell, yeah, uh -huh. that's right. And, the, you know, yes, there was, you know, the, the businessman and all, but there, were, there was a lot of fun in Bertie as well too, wasn't there? Oh, the, oh well, he was always up to something. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I mean, wind, if not winding me up, he was winding Kieran McAnallan up or he'd be on to Rory and there would be always stories. Mm -hmm. uh, there was always the, there was our party after the, after the prize given, the blue room or whatever people used to name it. Mm -hmm. There were three rooms at the back of the hotel, back and when the prize given was over, hung around for a while, everybody went home and then we all migrated into the back room and enjoyed herself for an hour or two or whatever went on. Yes. And there was one occasion, I think it was 96, the 25th International. Uh, we, we retired there for a while and uh, Mary Mariarty brought in a big uh, birthday cake and Cynthia had always already ordered another one. So there was two big cakes being wheeled in mm -hmm. 
And uh, Mary arrived in with the, the, the knives and started cutting and plates and all the rest. And it was Mr. Fisher, hand that out, Mr. Fisher. And of course they were looking, you know, but it, Mary was just uh, a friend to everybody. And she took everybody on board. So I got Mikhail and Fisher and the whole lot of them handing out cake. Mm -hmm. And then she came on with pint glasses and a silent collection, notes only. You hear me? And I mean, nobody was saying no to Bertie because if he did, yes. <laughs> but I mean, if they ignored him, it was at, at their peril, I'll tell you. you know? yeah, was, yeah. And yeah, you kind of got your own back on him. You, you commissioned Jim Barber to do a cartoon celebration. Was it 25 years of Donegal at that time? Yeah, I, I don't know where. I met Jim, Jim Bamber somewhere, and I'll be the Isle of Man or someplace, and I bought mm -hmm. one of his books. The time of the famous BMW when, when it got stuck on the ramp or on the jack and they couldn't get it down and uh, he, he drew up a cartoon, cartoon of everybody lifting mm -hmm. but he quoted Bertie underneath and now I'm not saying Bertie used a bad language but Jim Bamber used a bad language when <laughs> I say uh, expletive de care lift the expletive care and it was just it, it, it would come in then it would get them photocopied in the rally office and stick them up on their notice board. And of yeah. course, it was uproar. Where, where can I get a copy of that? <laughs> yeah. But it, it didn't matter. I mean, uh, Bertie, life, yeah. Bertie appeared in the 2000 poster. He was in, he was in a number, <clears throat> he was in a number of cartoons, but he, uh, he put him in the poster a few times mm -hmm. in 2000. And uh, when he came to me on Sunday evening, he said, I want to have a dozen of them posters. I said, go out to Ronnie and get them. Mm -hmm. And he went out and walk, went away with a half a dozen of the posters, but a bit like Plum Tindle, Plum got some too and uh, mm -hmm. got them mounted and handed them out for Christmas. I think Bertie was up the same frame of mind, you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was good. It was good, clean fun, you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the 2000 Tarmac Championship Award, like, kind of the stuff of legend, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well, that, that, that took on a life of its own. I mean, it was a great night and there was great enjoyment. Everybody enjoyed the time. Mm -hmm. And as I usually say, the after party was bigger than the one before. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, naturally enough, we all huddled and there was two or three tables pulled together. The crack would start and the bragging would start. And who was the fastest over this stage and that stage? And I don't know who came up with the idea, but all of a sudden <clears throat> the floor was cleared and Gladys Fisher would sit on one chair and Bertie would push her and then they had a race down the middle of the hall between Gladys and Bernie, Mikhail and Linda Nesbitt. I don't know who else was involved. Mm -hmm. But then th this was great applause and great enjoyment. And, you know, are they mad or something? But it, it didn't matter. Yes. Uh, the enjoyment was there in the bit of crack. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there was a, the call. I think they called it a, a draw. Okay. The, the agreement was, well, we'll meet here back in February for the annual dinner dance and we'll have a rematch. So right. that was all. And uh, unfortunately, we never got the chance to hear the well, the yeah, rematch. Well, as, as, yeah. Sorry if I'm cutting across you, Kevin. No, you're fine, no. uh, needless to say, the rematch didn't take place and what yeah. followed was a terrible tragedy. And mm -hmm. I remember being asked, Austin, at the time, would you come up and help us in the organisations and do this and do that? And... Uh, people had to be contacted and manpower had to be brought in and you knew where to go for but uh, myself and Rory used to travel to meetings and you know there was very little said in the car at the time yes the meetings were in Ballinamallard and you know we were all shocked and saddened mm -hmm. and uh, as it transpires I was very honoured and privileged to be one of the bearers at Bertie's funeral they had a 
they had a, a situation where so many people wanted to be involved yes. with the three between Mark's friends, Emma's friends and Bertie's friends. And it was a sort of you'll carry you'll carry from here to a certain point and then you'll drop out okay. and somebody else will drop in and carry it another way. And it was yes. that sort of organization that had to be done. Um, but, the, you know, there were no words to screw. When we came back, then we started talking to people. Oh, we'd love to have been there. And we did this and we did that. Mm-hmm. And we talked to Rory and he said, what do you think? And uh, we got it organized that we could have a memorial service in the Martyrs Church in Letterkenny. Okay. Up Kiltoy. And uh, the number of people, we were flabbergasted, the number of people. They were bulging out the doors uh-huh. and they were outside and everything. And... Uh, from that, from there on, we had another one the following year, and we decided to include other deceased members of the club, and it started to roll on. And to the best of my knowledge, it's still, it's still nearly an annual event. And they came down. Marshall's families came down from the north. It, it, it was a very emotional evening, mm-hmm. and there were always a few people read out at the time. You know, the chairman would go up and yes. mention. Certain people who had died over the year and uh-huh. brought brought them into the book of remembrance, you know. Yes, but a joyful occasion too. You know, it's nice to get people together in case they got to remember. And you know that you know now when people go outside, there'll be stories told. And... Well, there, there was always the ladies would always organise tea and coffee and biscuits and they'd make up sandwiches and we'd go into the back room. Mm-hmm. And as you say, the stories would be legend at that stage you know some of the stories i've gathered a lot of moss over the years but you know <laughs> we we just keep going with them you know we yes. add a little bit every year you know? sure. well, no harm in that. so like to wrap up then i suppose like, this is the question i've asked everybody i spoke to so far like bertie fisher the rally driver and bertie fisher the man what's your abiding memories um i always thought bertie is the perfect gentleman you'd no ears or graces he was always very open and approachable and spoke to everybody. And uh, on one occasion, now this is before I ever got involved in the Isle of Man and uh, waiting for Bertie to come into this water splash, nothing happened, waited, decided not to help it. We'll go to the next stage. And we were heading back to the car and met Bert, Bertie and the guys coming up the road. And uh, naturally, you know, what happened, Bertie? And uh, Bertie's response was, hit a bank and mm-hmm. kept walking. Yes. And we cared McAnally. They were all had long faces. Bertie had crashed out of the rally, you see. Mm-hmm. And we just, we just kept going. But he, he was that sort of person. He had a word for everybody. He would never ignore you. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and it didn't matter who you are or what you are. I mean, my daughter, Laura, just idolized him. And, and for rally, as for the rally driver, um, I always saw Bertie as very professional, as I said already, you know, yeah. very competitive. He worked hard, he played hard. And if, the one thing I noticed about him, he was very supportive of the other competitors. If he could do a young fella a favour, he wouldn't pass him. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure boys and guys were out there, more or less did the same for him if they could. Yes. But he had a very good conti- very good team with him and very good organisation and you know, your man's in trouble there, go over and help him, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, uh, the admiration went for him that way, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it was it was always looking out for other people, even in the heat yeah. of battle and he was having to be a bad day himself. He was always still prepared to go the extra mile for others. Yeah, he, he, he was involved, he, he, he got deeply involved with the Competitors Association mm-hmm. and he got them organised and gave them a voice. And as I say, he was very instrumental 
in the Tarmac supporters. And, I, you know, as I say, you know, himself and Austin were a great team. Yes. And if one didn't have an answer, the other did. But, I mean, <laughs> put it all down to experience, you know. Yes. Uh, they, they've been around long enough to know the, the pros and cons. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, even I think that there is a nice place to wrap it up. Is there anything? Because, you know, that's lovely memories there, Bertie. Yeah, well, I, I'm very pleased and very honoured to be able to contribute in some small way because it was a very big, it was a big loss to everybody, but it, it was a big loss to the club, to ourselves, myself as a very good friend. Spotlight was on Ulsterman Bertie Fisher once again. It was his 17th international rally victory and enough to clinch a record fourth Ulster win. Not a bad weekend's work. Yeah, we had a really, we had a very good run. We had a bit of a slow start, and then we had a little problem this morning. Didn't really catch, cost any time, but uh, maybe enough my confidence a little bit. I wasn't concentrating as I should have been, but from then on, it's been fine. You know, no problem. Fantastic. Well done again. Brilliant. Gordon Noble joined us now to speak about his recollections of sitting alone with Mark Fisher. It's a lovely story. I started off by asking Gordon how you become involved with Fishers. Oh, we had indeed, uh, Kevin. I mean, Mark and I's partnership started way back in the early 90s, I suppose. I was doing gravel notes for uh, for Birdie and Rory, and my mm-hmm. connection obviously was through was through Rory at the time, and any time I wasn't competing on a round of the, the Tarmac Championship, I seemed to get invited along to come and do come and do uh, gravel notes for them. And then obviously, Mark was about the, about the team, and we, um, we got to know each other slowly, I suppose. Um, yeah. But in 1998, Eight then, um, Mark had spent a few years in his uh, Suzuki and in his, in his uh, Nissan, uh, Nissan Micra, and he got an opportunity to go and do the Seat Super Six Challenge, six drivers and six six cars across six six events, mm-hmm. and I got invited along there as the uh, the person that was going to co-drive for him. And there was a whole lot of theories and behind that birdie this theory that I would be older and wiser and able to manage him better. But I don't know that that really really happened when he got to know. <laughs> Got to know Mark. He became his own his own, own man and, and things like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, we built up a very very strong personal relationship as well as our other rallying relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I don't know. It's, I don't mind saying it, but whenever the unfortunate accident happened twenty years ago, he was my best friend at the time. He was the guy that I rang every day to talk about the gossip and, and scandal rather than just talk about, uh-huh. talk about rallying and things. So yes. mm-hmm. um, had a significant. Um, impact on my life both personally and in, in rallying terms so. and like you know Bertie and Mark had a very close relationship you know father-son relationship and they, they seem to have that very similar kind of method you know everything was worked out to the last that were you know nothing was left to chance really was it you're exactly right both of them are very intelligent guys but very methodical in the way they went, they went about things mm-hmm. um they always thought Every pr- process through, should it be talking about work, talking engineering, or, or talking about kind of, kind of rallying? And they always analysed the whole pr- process to see how they could make it better, make it slicker was a term that Bertie used. Um, mm-hmm. But always trying to find, find an angle, and that was Mark's term, trying, trying to find an angle on things. You know, some little chink um, that was within within the within the sort of rules, and were never in, in any way. They always lived their life and their motorsport very much upfront and uh, obeying everything that should should have done. But if there's any advantage to be had or to be gained somewhere, they always went and uh, went and uh, and looked for it. And when they found that little advantage and took it on, mm-hmm. and everybody others heard of it then and then, they had to repeat that to, to yes. kind of keep keep up. But you're right, Mark and Bertie were very similar in that uh, regime. They're both very 
methodical and um, intelligent and worked their way through and found solutions mm -hmm. um, to, to any, any sort of a problem was always some sort of a, a solution to it. So yeah, I know speaking with Alistair, he says there's still processes that they're doing in Fisher Engineering now that were implemented then. So like, you know how far ahead they were of their time that they were they were setting the standard you know 20 25 years ago like so. Just yeah, and some of them, some of them are very small changes. You know, they're very small changes, but some of them very significant changes. I mean, many, but there's one significant change about the, the factory. It happened in the years I was running with Marcus when they, they, they bought a bit of land, they diverted the river and changed the whole factory process into one big, big long straight line to make it much more uh, uh, efficient, and they could take larger pieces of sort of steel and things like that. Mm -hmm. That was a big, big, big step at the time, which meant it kind of future-proofed the whole factory. Then that they were able to take on. Big Bigger, bigger work and stuff like that, yes. mm -hmm. but it's no easy, easy job. You know, decide yeah. to, to take a take a river and move, move it about and stuff. Yeah. So, and then you know, there are also the other small chinks where they were looking at different jointing systems and different ways of welding and different ways of bolting stuff that they could prefabricate more stuff back in the actual factory where it was warm and the tolerances were much much tighter than taking out the actual site in the in the cold and the wind and mm -hmm. being meter you know many meters above sort of sort of ground whenever mm -hmm. um you can't do things at such a fine tolerance or build them or make them so there was lots of things in their their, their processes and ways of working that were um and innovative if not nothing else you know yes and like mark was obviously obviously destined for greater things on the rally stage and bertie was almost taking a step back to allow mark to do that that was like it was such a like a big opportunity for mark there wasn't there yeah but I, i'm not sure how conscious Bertie was but he was actually personally taking a, st a step back but I know that he, yeah. he, he often did that he, were, he didn't necessarily compete on a rally if he wanted to be there to kind of support Mark as well mm -hmm. um, and it was a genuine move that he saw Mark's ability and, and uh, uh, his uh, potential as well that he was trying to encourage him to do that I mean Bertie you know, if you take it back to the other way around Bertie was the one that encouraged Mark initially to go to university and follow his, his ordinary um, engineering career path but never had passed yeah. that then and proven his ability and proven how well he could work in the factory he then was extremely supportive of the the potential running move forward and um things like you know getting a a group n car in 99 and two, 2000 to to move up to that sort of uh, level and take the step forward as he was going so mm -hmm. um, and not just you know hiring a car from a lot more um behind the scene and trying to you know um be clever about how you do to do things and teach him about how to not necessarily how to drive mark didn't need to be taught taught that he no. always came Mm -hmm. Very, very sort of naturally to him, but anything else you could teach him about car set, set up or, or or working with a team and stuff like that, that was very much uh, encouraged and supported and um and and a hundred percent sure Bertie saw that there was a, a enormous potential and what Mark was going to move move on to and move up up to you know absolutely absolutely and like you know the Fisher family like they were steeped in rally and like we often think of like RPM like the breakfast Holton Balna Mallard. Uh, Bertie's mother and father at the ramp and all. It was such a huge part of everything, though. Oh, very much so. I mean, there's some very iconic pictures of the dad's mum and dad, both Tommy and Elsie, at the finish of the circuit in the night, first year of the one, mm -hmm. and Bertie sharing the, the champagne with his dad and his mum being there as well. And you see then how much the, the, uh, they embroiled the factory in as well, where the Ulster Rally used to come and serve service there. Mm -hmm. And the whole family, Gladys and them, and everybody else out in the mornings cooking, cooking big, big breakfast, like it was like having a barbecue at 
7 a.m. or something like that. But the whole family very much, you know, and Bertie's brothers as well, Ernie and Ivan and so on. And Kenny very, very much got involved in, in the motor, motorsport world. So, yes, yeah. yeah, so they're very much a whole group of them together. And, and you know, there was other times that whenever there was a motorhome to be used to go to Killarney or the Circuit of Ireland or whatever those rallies, it was Gladys was there and Emma was there as well, um, you know, along with. Car, Car, Carol Mick, I remember quite well being on a few of those, a few of those, those trips trying mm -hmm. to feed everybody. Uh, a lot of hungry guys chit chasing about and stuff, but um, very, very much the whole, whole family got involved in it, you know. So, yeah. mm -hmm. and like you know, we have to remember Emma too. Like Emma was doing such wonderful work for her charity and all too, and the church as well. It was you know she was destined for great things too, wasn't she? You know, so. I think she was. I wouldn't have known Emma as well, but or, or Roy either, but I knew of them and, knew, and they were about quite a bit. But as you say, Emma was doing a lot of sterling work for her her charities, traveling traveling abroad and doing great uh, great work and um, passing on her own Christi uh, Christian message as well as doing you know very su successful work. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that was something that was growing and it was blossoming at, 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 at that time in her life. And I'm sure she would have carried it on and done quite quite a lot quite a lot more you know so yeah like, we even think now to the even to this day the fisher foundation you know the seeds were sown then and continue what that you know they're still providing much needed funds for charities and even the motorsport to, to this day you know, so. exactly right that was a, a very important thing that was done post the accident and post the you know unfortunate death was that Fisher Foundation was set up and as you say it supports very many things a lot of those Christian charities that Emma was involved in motorsport uh, charities especially the sort of safety re re regimes and mm -hmm. I, I think it's very important as well that, that the money is not just throw, thrown away lightly there's a proper bidding bidding system and people have to justify what they're do, doing with it and uh, it's, it's very much for buying something that's useful rather than yeah. only for temporary uses as well so mm -hmm. there's a longer term longer term use of it and that is uh, continuing on thankfully so uh, fantastic legacy and good way of trying to keep the, the name alive very very much you know mm -hmm. and then you know going up now as opposed to the present day yourself and Alistair you know the Fisher Noble partnership continues like that must be a, a special thing for you there too uh, it's fantastic to go back and make that make mm -hmm. that link again you know um Alistair is his own his own own, own, own man. Don't be thinking that he's anything mm -hmm. else. But in, um, but it's just the whole um, the history and the her heritage behind. It. I think it's good to renew that and make that make that move forward. You know, mm -hmm. um, I mean, Mark and, and Alistair's character or per personality is is different in, in in quite a number of ways. But uh, it doesn't take away from any of the two of them's ability to drive and and how they make it. Mm -hmm. Mark was much more of a. Um, there was an element of sort of uh, devilment was the term we would have used at the time. I'm not sure if anybody, anybody knows, knows exactly what that is, but there's an element of badness without, without any, any sort of sort of malice, which also always created a, an element of fun and an element of um, very positive feeling about everything, you know, and he was... Um, he was good at that. He was a very good people person. He was very good at making people yeah. work work for him and actually support him without being forceful in any way. He was a sort of a guy that was magnetic. Almost people wanted to be there and wanted to actually uh, support him. So, and yeah, you wanted to do something for us. Exactly right. Yeah, mm -hmm. you wanted to be there and be supportive, and he, and he had a good way of of mm -hmm. uh, encouraging people to work to work with him. And he was also very respectful and then and then thankful whenever people did did do that that, that for him. So. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as you say, it's very good to be able to uh, square the whole circle at whatever time you want to use and yeah. go back now with mm -hmm. and have a uh, success again. So sure. it's good to do that, yeah. yeah. Now, I suppose to start wrapping things up, I've asked everybody this question so far. 
your standout memories of Bertie Fisher and I suppose Mark, the rally, the rally people and the you know the, the person behind the, the, the helmet, I suppose. It's difficult, I suppose. It's like so many things in life. There's so many uh, vivid, positive memories you have about the two two guys and how they worked worked together and so on. But um, one of the ones that I have a photograph hanging up on the wall behind me here, and I keep referring back to and looking at with with joy, is at the the finish ramp of the Donegal Rally 1999, I believe it was. Whenever Mark and I were in a, a Group N uh, Subaru, mm-hmm. uh, we were lucky enough to win. Group N, um, we were very good. We led from the fir- first day, even though Bertie had given us a warning not to be go- going going fast. We need to learn learn this car and so on. So, but we led from day day one. Uh, we had a great experience. We learned the car. It was dry. It was wet on the Saturday. Uh, we did everything right in some sets. Some very very good 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 times. Um, unfortunately, Bertie and Royce slid off another. Kindrum or Fana, I can't quite remember which of the two, but they had dropped well, well down, down the order. But mm-hmm. when we got to the uh, got to the finish ramp, it was um, Bertie was very keen to wait. He was in the top two or three. We were sixth or seventh. He was very keen to wait until we came over the ramp and get a picture of the whole of us uh, together. So back to that, what we said earlier on, but very much the family atmosphere, and he was there to try and support Mark and give him that mm-hmm. encouragement for the sort of future. So that's one moment, I suppose, in the whole time that we. Yes. I had together the, the rally man and the man that you know, and the whole lot, whole lot, that 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 guy knows something positive out of that. But there's lots of other times when we're doing good things and doing kind of bad both. But um, <laughs> they were all they were all fun. They were all they were all positive, and that's the. Uh, there was no malice thing, or no badness. No malice, no, no badness. There's always something good about it. So mm-hmm. uh, fantastic times, I must yeah. say, Kim. Yeah. That's some lovely memories there. So Gordon, thanks for taking the time to join us here. Thank you very much, Kevin. It's good to be here. Good to be part of this, I must say. Thanks again. And I noticed just in the background here, if I could look around, that the, the, the dad's taking a close look. Yeah, well, he told me last night that uh, under no circumstances were to be were we to le- be leading this evening. So uh, I told him I was uh, going to give off to him if he was leading Group N, but uh, I'm happy enough. <laughs> You'll forgive him. I'll forgive him. Yeah. Mark, first proper drive in a Group N, is it? Yes, that's right, Plum, and I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been a great weekend. Pretty good way to start in this category. Yeah, um, and the only question is now when do we get out again? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a shame it's all over. We've had uh, we've had a real good uh, time in the car and uh, got the chance to drive it in different conditions. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a good weekend all round. That was Nigel Fraser, Keir McAnall, Ivan Fury, and Gordon Noble, and myself, Kevin Lynn, talking rally. That's part two of our tribute to Bertie Fisher. And in the next episode, it will be I'll be speaking to Dave Campion from ProDrive, Alistair Fisher, and Rory Kennedy. If you enjoyed the podcast, can you please like and share it across all social media? And if you're listening to that podcast, if you can rate the podcast, it would be gratefully appreciated. Until the next time, take care, stay safe. Bye.